Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is the morning of Tuesday, May 18th. Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. And Dan, coming to you live on a brand new podcast microphone. How's it sound? <laughs> well, I mean, I was expecting perfection, but we still got a little chop there in the beginning. But uh, your, uh, your voice, your voice is is definitely clear. I, I definitely notice it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, you're uh, you're kind of moving up to the big time here. I think I probably need to hop on board here soon. I think it's more the choppiness is more about the fact that we still do this on Skype than yeah. anything else because. When like like they started doing the SB Nation podcast stuff, the very first thing they said was "Don't use Skype," and it's the only thing that I know how to use, so I still use Skype. But eventually, we're going to try uh, something else and, and hopefully make it sound a little bit better. But shout out to uh, to Brandon Lytle, hooked us up with this new mic. Shout out to Money Concepts, unofficial sponsor of the podcast. I think we can say that. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to be an official sponsor of the podcast, <laughs> you can make that happen. Hit me up. Uh, we've got some time available. But, Dan, we took a couple of weeks off, just time to, to catch our breath, enjoy Derby. You went to Disney World. Uh, now we're back. We're getting back into the flow. The summer pods are going to start coming at you fast and furiously. But we've got to talk about Disney. You took the two older kids. And we should say, like, like, all of our friends were super impressed when you first told us that you were taking the kids to Disney. And then you said that you were leaving the baby home with your parents. And everybody was kind of like, ah, it's it's kind of like when you say you're a 25-time Emmy Award winner, and then you're like, well, local Emmys. It's like, eh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. I think everybody somehow has, like, 37 Emmys. But we got to talk about Disney. How was the experience? Have your ears recovered? Did the kids have a good time? I, I got to say, going in, I was – I don't want to say I was, like, terrified, but um... – like I, I can't say I was I was looking forward to it in the way I would look forward to like let's say a uh, a golf vacation with my friends or a week away with my wife. But um, you know, life's changed now. You're you're doing stuff for the kids, so uh, I was I was definitely pleasantly surprised at how well it went. The kids did phenomenal. And like you said, we, we did cheat a little bit. We left Mallory behind with my parents. But after walking around the park and seeing, like, kids that were Mallory's age there, uh, we could not have made a better move. It, it would have changed the entire experience. You know, without her there, we're able to go on all the rides, you know, with our kids. Um, it, it, it changed everything. But I got to hand it to my kids. You know, you never know from day to day what you're going to get with your kids as far as breakdowns or, you know, throwing temper tantrums. But, I mean, they just had an, uh, an unbelievable day. They were happy the, pretty much the entire day. We had one miniature breakdown, my daughter Lila, and that was that came right after the big ice cream treat that they got, which is to be expected. But, um, they, lo- I mean, my favorite thing was they – they love the rides. They, they're honestly not big character people. I mean, they wanted to see Mickey and, and Donald and them, but uh, a couple times on Splash Mountain, my my older six-year-old did Space Mountain. Um, it was a long day. My feet were sore, um, but I got to hand it to my wife. She did a great job planning, uh, and we had a great time. Uh, would I go back anytime soon? No, um, but it's <laughs> nice to just say, that, hey, we, we took the kids there, and um, we can cross off our list. I'd say that personally my favorite moment of you guys going to Disney World 
was knowing that you were too exhausted to be watching the Wade Miley no-hitter. Oh, my goodness. All of our other friends in our text group noticing that you were, I mean, noticeably silent during the entire thing. And I was like, after it happened, my first text to everybody was like, imagine being too tired from Disney World to miss a Wade Miley no-hitter. It was uh, like like that, that put a smile on my face. So, so about that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we stayed in, like, a hotel room with kids. So, like, I, I don't know if you've had to do this with Virginia yet, but, like, when, like, the kids go to bed, like, the lights are out. Yeah. You know, I, there's not really a whole lot you can do. And usually I would, like, probably venture down and, and grab a drink and just chill in the lobby or something like that. But, I mean, I, it was a long day. We woke up at, like, 5 Five o'clock in the morning, drove from Cocoa Beach, spent, you know, from 8.30 a.m. to 9 at night at Disney. And I was like, I can actually go to bed. And I never miss Reds games as far as either following along on my phone or TV or radio. That might have been like the fourth one I've missed in the last 10 years. I was like, oh, great, a no-hitter. All right, here we go. So, um, yeah, congrats to Wade. But it, it was it was a tough pill to, to swallow when I woke up. I totally understand too. Like when we went to, when we took the mini trip to Florida uh, a couple months ago or a month ago, whenever that was, it was, I mean, it was like one giant room was like our yeah. little condo place. And so it, <laughs> the first night it's like, well, it's 8 15. I'm eating chicken salad stick in the pitch black place. <laughs> oh God. The, the parent like, struggle is so real in those scenarios. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I was like, what do we do? We like fired up, um, like an episode of The Office on my laptop, and we're, like, watching it in bed. I look over at 8.45, and Mary's passed out. I'm like, well, Formula One drive to survive time, I guess. Here we go. Uh, but that was about it. But um, I love that we've already gotten, like, the, all the feedback I get about the podcast, the one thing that people say is we want to hear you guys talk more Reds. That's, that's what everybody says, more Reds and more fantasy golf talk. So we've already gotten off track. But glad to hear the kids had a good time. Um, was Mallory – Okay. Then yeah, she, she did great. I mean, she she really is. She's an easy baby. Um, she's progressing very quickly as far as walking and and talking. She's she's a happy baby. So my parents loved the time with her. Um, so yeah, everything was good on the home front. Like I said, it went about as well as possible. Um, besides the fact we almost missed our flight on the way home, but other than that, everything was good. All right, let's dive into, uh, I guess, the UofL news that has happened since the last time we recorded. I should mention, this is a always an open and honest podcast. Um, I got the, the the bad news coming text of doom this morning. I've got no idea what it pertains to. No idea if it's going to be big Jeez, or whatever. But I, I'm furiously, like, glancing at Twitter as we record this. So I'm fully expecting something terrible to come out as we record this or immediately uh, when we're done recording. But for now... We'll talk about the big news in the world of global sports, which was, hey, Dan, Chris Mack talked. I know. God, it's been a while. forgot what he sounded like. We heard him talk on Monday. Uh, They officially announced the third assistant coach hiring. It's Ross McMains, who for the past month I've only heard referred to as the guy from New Zealand. Like every time that that there was an assistant conversation – he was always referred to, I think it's going to be the guy from New Zealand. Like, I heard he, he interviewed this guy, but it's probably going to be the guy from New Zealand. And finally, after two or three weeks, I was like, does this guy have a fucking name? Can, can, can somebody tell me who we're talking about here? It is Ross McMain's interesting background. Uh, has never coached in college, which I, I know raised a few eyebrows yesterday from people 
who weren't really familiar with him, with who he is and, and where he's been. Uh, born in the United States, kind of went back and forth to New Zealand throughout his childhood. Uh, has kind of done the same thing in his professional career. Spent some time with the Sacramento Kings. Spent some time with the New York Knicks. Uh, coached in the the Australian uh, National League. Coached in the uh, New Zealand League. Was the coach of the year there in 2016. Uh, has worked with the Australian national team a little bit. And if you want to know, uh, like the the short answer about who he is and why he's here is that he's widely regarded to be this offensive guru. He coaches a uh, up-tempo style of play, doesn't want the ball to stop um, in the half court, wants to expose mismatches. Um, his teams, wherever he's been, have scored an in, inordinate amount of points. Uh, he's big on offense. And I think this is, like, my biggest takeaway from Tuesday, or from Monday, was Chris Mack is serious about changing the offensive style going into next season. I, I think he knows how important this year is, not just for him, but for the future of the program. I think he knows how disappointed everybody was with the way that last season ended. He knows how frustrated everybody was with the style of play. Um, and he's willing to kind of put his humility aside and say, somebody come in here to help me. And Ross McMain's coming in here. He was referred to yesterday as an offensive coordinator, which I think is kind of funny since we don't have an offensive coordinator in football, but now we seem to have one in men's basketball. But I guess I'll just I'll throw it over to you before we get into Max's comments and what he said. Your overall impression, uh, Ross McMains, does this do anything for you? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you nothing? How do you feel about this? I am happy in the fact that it, it looks like Chris Mack is – um, like you said, he, he's putting his humility aside and kind of going outside of what maybe his philosophy was coming into this university. And when you look around college basketball, I mean, head coaches for, I mean, the most part, like at some of these big time programs are these like dominant figures who are like so stubborn um, as far as wanting to change their philosophy or, or adapt to different things. Um, so it is nice to see that, that he is willing to kind of change things up when, when he saw that, you know, things were not as successful as he thought they were going to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as the hire goes, it, it obviously remains to be seen. But I, I do like the fact that you hear, you know, the words offensive guru because – I mean, last year, look at the two teams that, that made the finals. When you look at Baylor and Gonzaga, I mean, those are two teams that constantly move the ball on offense, great passing teams, you know, very skilled offensively. Um, and I, I think that just might be the direction of the way things are headed in college basketball right now. So I, I give Chris Mack credit for, like we said, kind of going outside the box with this hire, and um, hopefully it pays off. Yeah, I, I think that – Looking at the last decade of national champions, you can like the whole defense wins championships deal is kind of bullshit. It, it always has been. I mean, offense and defense wins championships, but we haven't seen there. There hasn't been a bad offensive team outside of South Carolina in 2017 even make it to the Final Four. Like by and large, the teams that have been dominating the NCAA tournament, dominating the postseason have all been top 10, top 15 in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency metric. And Louisville is now coming off a season where it was 94th in adjusted offensive efficiency, which was its worst mark since the 2004 season, that team that uh, kind of went to the tournament and lost to Xavier. They've got to get better on that front. There's no question about it. And 
if there's, I'm not gonna say if there's one thing I've liked about Chris Mack being here, but one of the things that I've liked about Chris Mack in his time here is he has kind of seemed willing to put his pride aside and do things differently. I think you saw that in the first couple of seasons where the pieces that he inherited from from Patino and Paget didn't really fit his style, but he was okay with that. He said, you know, we're going to to use a lot of high ball screen with Kristen Cunningham in year one to set up our, our shooters and to take advantage of Jordan War and Ryan McMahon. And you saw him do that the first two years. And then in year three, he finally kind of had the pieces that he wanted to play his style. And it fucking sucked. <laughs> like, yeah. So he's kind of like, okay, well, you know, we tried that. He did also say on, on Monday that part of the reason why they played so much slower last year than even the, they'd played the two years prior was – he knew that David Johnson and Carly Jones pretty much had to play close to 40 minutes a night every single night because of the lack of backcourt depth. And I think that that's a valid excuse if you want to look at it that way. It's it's a justification for slowing it down. He felt like that gave them the best opportunity to remain competitive. And for most of the season, you know, it, it worked. There were very there were a couple of notable exceptions, the Wisconsin and the North Carolina game. But besides that, they were in most games, uh, and they had a chance to win most games. Again, not saying it was maybe the the, the perfect route, clearly, because we didn't make the NCAA tournament, but you can kind of understand his thought process there. Um, and I do think it's it's comforting to hear him say that he's willing to change and he's willing to, to do things differently, not just to appease the fan base, but because he thinks it's going to give the next year's team the best opportunity to win. He did say – and. I want to get your thoughts on this because this was the other kind of catch your eye type quote. He said he thinks that next year's roster is actually going to be more talented than last year's roster. Um, your thoughts? See, I, I'm, I feel like I'm putting myself in like uh, a pickle here because I, I was kind of the ones clamoring like, hey, I want Chris Mack to speak. I, I want him – to, to get the fans excited about the program because um, we hadn't heard from him in a while. And it, you just you kind of want to keep the fan base abreast and, um, you know, involved of what's going on with the program. Uh, but when he said that, I don't want to say I cringe, but I just was like, mm, I don't want that to, to come back and, and bite him in case we do have, you know, uh, another down year. Um, but, I, I mean, I it's tough to say. I mean, we a lot of we're bringing in six, seven newcomers. So, I mean, he's around. I mean, I want to say he's around these guys, but he also said that he's never met L. Ellis or um, I forget the other one, uh, Jared Bye. West. Uh, yeah, um, before he's never met them in person. But uh, you know, I, I I can do nothing but trust his evaluation of of who he's coaching. So. If he thinks that's that's the case, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm very happy with that. Now it's just getting these guys to to mesh together because I do. I mean, we obviously had some some talent last year, and the fact that he thinks we have more um, can be nothing but good. I just don't know how well last year's team meshed together. So I think that's going to be one of his biggest responsibilities this year is making sure on both sides of the ball we play better as a team. I just, I mean. I like hearing that, and I do think that yesterday's press conference is – its one. It, it showcased why I wish he had talked a little bit more over the course of the last two months because I do think he's good at kind of getting into the – explaining things, explaining what's going on behind scenes, giving explanations for things that maybe look a little bit uh, inauspicious from the outside. 
And like I, I saw a lot of it on Twitter. I saw a lot of him kind of these rallying the troops, these people who are like, I'm excited about this now, uh, or I feel better about things. And um, I, I think it is important to get out there and kind of to use the buzz cliche phrase, control the message a little bit. And I think he did a good job there. As far as the more talented, like my guess is that that comment stems from from the depth of this year's team, yeah. um, more so than like the overall talent top. Because I just I don't know. I have no idea. I've never had less of a grasp on a Louisville team going into an offseason than I feel like I've got with this one. Um, I, I think you've got some pieces to be excited about. I like that Mac compared Jared West to Kristen Cunningham because that was when I first wrote up the you know the news that he was coming here. That was my best case scenario comparison uh, was with CC. L. Ellis, I think, is a huge wild card. I think we're going to, and we have months to talk about this, but I think we're getting to a point now where if L. Ellis isn't your, like, your, your legit playmaker, your kind of star in the making, I think you're going to have an issue because somebody's going to have to be in that backcourt. And I do wonder where Louisville turns with, uh, you know, the word has been they've got two scholarships to use. They want to use one of them, at least one of them, uh, probably only one of them. I would like it to be on an impact transfer um, because I, I think you've got to have just a guy that you know is a playmaker. And L. Ellis, we don't know. I mean, he's he was great in JUCO. Um, I don't think that Jared West can be that guy. I'm not sure that, you know, any any of the freshmen can be that guy. Um, Noah Locke, I, I think, is a lethal outside shooter. He's not a guy who can just go get you a bucket. But I think you're going to see Louisville is going to play um, kind of that Iowa – Creighton type style. I guess Creighton would probably be more apt than Iowa, where it's just guys who can knock down outside shots and a couple of big guys inside who can maybe make a play here or there. But that's going to be it should be at least at the very least exciting. I just don't know how all these pieces fit together, and hopefully we can start getting some answers as the summer gets closer. But do you still think? Would you still like to see Chris Mack go out and get an impact player who somehow can fit in the backcourt? That would be my preference. Obviously, I don't want him just to waste the scholarship just to get a guy. Like if he's not going to fit, um, or maybe talent-wise, he, he's not you know an ACC type caliber player. I hope they don't just use the scholarship to use it. But I mean, we still have a long way for the season to start. I mean, we just saw you know uh, Remy Martin from Arizona State. He was kind of a late transfer, and I know he just committed to, to Kansas. So. Those things happen. I mean, you, someone might pop up where we kind of luck out and have a spot open for him. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that Mac is just kind of playing his cards close to the vest right now. And I think he's, he's, he's holding Kings and he's waiting for the flop here and hoping that a couple more Kings drop, um, and maybe get, uh, a guy that would fit our system. But, you know, I, I I'm in the same boat as you. I, I, I do think from a depth standpoint, he probably likes a lot better where they're at um, than they were last year. Um, you could just see by where some of these kids transferred to that the talent level wasn't where it needed to be coming off the bench last year. So I think he's obviously putting more stock in that. But again, his job is going to be, you know, he, he's got to mesh these guys together. Last year, it seemed like it was kind of a a, a mismatch of, of pieces that he never really could figure out. And, and this year going in, there's there's even more question marks of how everything's going to fit together. Yeah, I was texting with somebody about uh, Remy Martin and how much I wanted him to come here and how I think a player 
kind of cut from that cloth would be a the difference between Louisville being on the outside, firmly outside all these preseason top 25s, and potentially like a top 20-ish team. And the, the guy I was texting with was like, I thought you didn't like Rocket Wads. Remy Martin's got the same issues. He's, you know, unpredictable. He gets a little careless with the ball. He's got some attitude issues. And I was like, yeah, but he's good. And, yeah, exactly. Is the big difference. Uh, but I would like to see them go out and get just some playmaker that's out there. And who knows, maybe some more guys are going to enter the portal at some point between now and, and the start of next season. But we'll see. I, I just think right now the whole kind of buzz that the, the staff is happy with the roster as is is a little bit surprising to me. Um, but, again, they, they would know more than I would. So uh, there you go. I did put up a poll this morning for – um, a, a story that I'm working on. I wanted to get the fan base's overall take, and it ended up being about what I expected. I just asked the simple question of, after three seasons, what best describes your feelings about Chris Mack? And the, the four options were very happy, slightly happy, slightly disappointed, and very disappointed. And the results so far, we got about 2,000 votes here. Slightly disappointed is the leader with about 53.5%. Slightly happy is second with 30.3%. Very disappointed is at 10.6 and very happy at 5.6. So I, I think that shows you that when you hear those extreme voices out there, the ones that are saying, you know, fire Chris Mack or Chris Mack going to the Hall of Fame, going to win all these national titles, it's the fringe. More people lie in the middle where it's like I, I understand what he's had to deal with. I understand the NCAA stuff. I understand, you know, the pandemic that canceled what could have been a really – positive March 2020 and and kind of de- derailed the next season as well. But if you had to say, I mean, if, if we're talking about between slightly happy and slightly dis- slightly disappointed, I would go with slightly disappointed for the mere fact that we missed the NCAA tournament. Like, that's the deciding factor to me for last year. Do you fall in that same boat? Yeah, it's a, it's a what have you done for me lately type deal. And obviously that's the thing that's fresh in everyone's mind. I mean, we've talked about it a hundred times. His second year, I mean, didn't really get a fair shake with, with the team that he had and the tournament getting canceled. Um, so I, I can't really put that on him. But, I mean, there's no doubt coming off a, a year where we got two guys that might get drafted that we don't make the NCAA tournament, um, I, I think everyone's probably, or according to your poll, most people are slightly disappointed. The people that are very happy, must you must have some, like, U.K. fans voting or something, because I don't know how you could be very happy with what he's done. Yeah, can we talk about the, real quickly, the, just the U.K. fans just completely losing their mind about getting some good grad transfers. Don't get me wrong, the, the transfers they've got are great. I think Kellen Grady's awesome. I like Severe Wheeler from Georgia, I think, more than most people. I think he's a, a big piece for them. But the whole yesterday, the the official UK account tweeting that Photoshop of the J. Cole album cover with Calipari and being like off-season basketball, which, one, J. Cole famously referred to Calipari as a cheater in a song like 11 years ago. Like, they just openly called him out. Cheat down there cheating in Memphis like Calipari is an actual J. Cole line. So kind of an error in judgment there, too. But the amount of UK fans, so, I mean, I couldn't help it yesterday. Had to do the, the trolling thing where I quote tweeted and said, you know, yeah, the off season is definitely where this program shines the brightest, whatever shitty tweet that was. I mean, these people just exploded. Like, like they are all in on this team. They do this every single year, and they're <laughs> so, like, sensitive about anybody who maybe would think that they wouldn't be great coming off a fucking 9-16 and 16 season. I just, I, man, I, I, I just don't get it. Uh, but the, like, 
yeah, the the picture of the off seat. What did it say? Did it say off season champs or is that what it said? I, I forget what whatever. They're <laughs> it did not say off season champs. I, I I forget what it said. What it like the picture of Cal and like it was really weird, but like it, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that they just don't. I mean their fan base doesn't recognize their flaws because we go through this every single off season. Um, and uh, I mean, some years, Hey, they, they, they are good obviously. And they, they've made runs in the tournament. Um, but I mean, to just do it year after year, it's like, Oh, it's just exhausting. Like they just can't wait and, you know, and see the actual product uh, that's going to be on the court. they, they declare themselves champs before, you know, anything even gets started. But, hey, I guess let them have their fun. The weird thing about following some of these Kentucky fans who do this is it's different than the Louisville fringe. Like, I feel like the the glass is always completely full. Louisville fans are always that way. You know, you know even if when Louisville misses the NCAA tournament, they're like, hey, you know, you got to give Chris Mack a – a longer leash, like, we're going to be really good next year. If we lose a game, it's like, hey, we're going to get them next time. Like, they're always rosy. Like, the glasses are always red. And the the kind of downtrodden fans are the complete opposite. Like, it's never good enough. You win a game, we're still pissed off about it. Kentucky fans flip so quickly and so extremely. These same people who were in my mentions yesterday talking about how, you know, this roster is – they started doing the thing where they just name players, which is my favorite offseason thing, where you just, like, list guys – as if it's somehow justification for why your team's going to be good. Um, they started doing that. Those same people are the ones who, when Calipari loses to Josh Pastner in November, are like, this fucking guy's giving us nothing. Like, let's, I'll drive him out of town right now. It's just the, the ebbs and flows are so extreme. I just don't understand. But, hey, I guess you got to do what you got to do. And it's the same with football, too. Like, the, the football fans every single year think that they're going to win the – uh, whatever division they're in in the SEC and play for the SEC title. And then when they lose a couple of games, Mississippi State or Missouri, every single year, it's like, well, it's, it's football, whatever. Who cares? We're having fun. It's basketball. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. But that's driven by, I mean, whatever. Their coaching staff, what's his name? Vince, Vince Moreau is like all over Twitter saying they're, they're, as far as like a program on par with what, who did he say? Like Alabama or somebody else. I was like, I would good say, they're, they're damn yeah. Good. I, I mean, like, of course the, like the fan base is going to eat that up when like the coaches are saying something ridiculous like that. So, you know, that whenever, and I mean, what they win like five, six games pretty much every year. Um, even though we know they're obviously, I think UK. I mean, I'll give it to them. I think as far as like building a program and talent, they're 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 on the up and up. But still, I mean, they they don't have enough to compete in the SEC. Um, and when their coaches do that, I mean, it automatically just when the season starts and they're losing these games to Missouri or whoever, it's putting them in a bad spot. I mean, Stoops has done he's done a good job and. They've beaten us pretty badly the last two times we've played. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I acknowledge that for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I think every Louisville fan understands this. But you have to understand if you're a U.K. fan who's buying into this, what the rest of the world sees. Again, what they haven't had a winning record in the SEC since either one of us have been alive. Like, their best case, these bowl games that they're excited about, I, I can't even remember what bowl games they were playing in. I know they beat Virginia Tech one year. I think they beat well, they beat NC State last year with a, a losing record. But, like, 
there's nobody who sees Kentucky as this burgeoning national power that's a real threat to the top of the SEC or anything like that. And I mean, I guess it's fun when your head coach gets on the radio and says, like, we're a better program than Michigan or, you know, we're, we're damn close to Ohio State and Alabama. But you can't really believe it. Like, if, as much as I want to get really excited about Louisville football again, if, if Scott Satterfield went on, you know, with Mark Ennis today and was like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're right there with Clemson now, baby. Like, 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 <laughs> I'd be like, no, you're not. Like, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna buy season tickets because you're making these comments. It, I'm trying to think of what basketball program Kentucky reminds me of right now. Where I mean, if it's like if, if NC State with Kevin Keats right now was like, we're just as good as Duke and North Carolina. Like, we're, we're coming for Baylor and Gonzaga. Everybody be like, I mean, no, <laughs> no. But somehow Kentucky fans buy this every single year. Whatever. Uh, who cares? Uh, we'll move on from that. Do you want to answer some some questions from Twitter here, Dan? Yeah, let's go. Uh, people want a couple of people have asked that we talk about Louisville baseball um, cards. They play USC Upstate tonight. It was a late scheduled game. If you're wondering why they play USC Upstate, it's because uh, they're actually a pretty good mid major team. They have a top forty RPI. Their RPI is actually higher than Louisville's. But Louisville baseball really struggling right now. They're coming off of a, a sweep at the hands of North Carolina, which was a huge surprise. They hadn't been swept uh, going into the season in a weekend series since all the way back in 2011. They've now been swept two of the last three weekends, which is uh, kind of embarrassing. The offense has been uh, fine for the most part. It wasn't great last weekend. The starting pitching has been really, uh, really troubling. Um, it's just it's a down year, and we're so used to that not happening with Louisville baseball that – it's kind of shocking when it does, but the cards have to get things right to end the regular season because they are sort of on the NCAA tournament bubble. Don't have a whole lot on their non-conference resume. Their ACC, uh, the ACC overall is not quite as strong as it usually is. And their RPI is a uh, dismal. I think it's like 49 right now. So they got to get it going just to make the NCAA tournament. And if they do, I mean, they've had a lot of success getting out of regionals and then getting uh, out of super regionals. So, they're going to be a threat to wherever they go. We know that they're not going to host a regional, but I could easily see them, you know, having that light bulb moment, having some stuff click, and taking down a regional crown on somebody else's home field. But for right now, struggling a little bit, Dan. Yeah, and sometimes I, you know, obviously they went in with the preseason expectations, and like you said, it sounds like the the pitching is has really let them down this year, unfortunately. But I mean. Uh, the great part about baseball is you can get hot at any time. Um, I'm definitely not going to count out a, a Dan McDonald coach team. And, you know, if they do go on a run, those are the kind of teams that are just so fun to follow, like the unexpected run where you're like, ah, maybe it's not our year. And then they get hot and, and do make a surprise run. So, um, I mean, me and you, we, we love watching postseason baseball. Um, you know, it's been like, since like the 2000, what was it like 2000? What was the the team that went to Omaha the first year? Um, I can't remember what. Yeah, you know, ever since then, it, it's become like a tradition just around every May June to where we really dive into college baseball um, and, and and follow it, you know, more closely, obviously than than when the program was back in like the 90s and early, um, you know, 2000s. But yeah, I I, I think that. Uh, they still have time to write the ship, but they're, they, uh, they, they need to get it going in a hurry. So we'll cross our fingers that um, things start clicking for them here. 
Yeah, the thing with college baseball that, you know, Louisville fans probably don't understand just because the team has been so consistently elite is that for most programs, you're on kind of a every third year trajectory. Like, like the, you want to kill it in recruiting every year, obviously, but because of the way that the scholarships work out, you kind of have one year where you just try to load up on guys and you throw them into the fire. They maybe struggle that first season. They're the stars of hopefully a team that's better in year two. And then year three is when you really want to make your big run. And Louisville was poised to be that team last year. I mean, they were preseason number one in a lot of polls. Uh, a lot of people think this is the year that they were going to, to get the title. The biggest reason why was that starting rotation. You had three of the best pitchers in the country. You lose two of those guys as first-round draft picks. Bobby Miller uh, is now with the Dodgers. Reed Detmers was a, a first-round draft pick, obviously, who's tearing it up for the Rocket City Trash Pandas. The right? Trash Pandas, baby. First strikeout in Trash Panda franchise history. Uh, but when you lose those guys, you don't just bounce back. And I know we've done a really good job of that. We have the best pitching coach in the country in Roger Williams. But this year it's been it's been a struggle. Guys haven't stepped up like they have in years past. And I think you have to attribute at least – some of that to the bizarre offseason that the, the pandemic resulted in. You just, you, you know, the, like, structure and the organization and the repetition that, that Dan McDonald has in place, it's such a big part of why this program has been so consistently good, and it got disrupted this year, and I think that you're seeing a little bit of that. But you're totally right. This could definitely be, like, that 2012 Louisville men's basketball season where it's been disappointing for four months, but magically – Things start going right, and during the postseason, guys get confidence and, and they start rolling. And I mean, they still have a shot because they are their one through nine lineup is about as good as anybody in the country. Benellis the star, Henry Davis maybe the number one pick in the, the Major League Baseball draft. Um, so I, I still think it has the potential to be a fun offseason. Yeah, and I, I mean, and you look at, I mean, not, I mean, I know a lot of times College World Series winners are, are you know higher seed, someone that maybe hosted the regional. But, I mean, you look back to, I mean, it was like four or five years ago, the year Coastal Carolina. I know they definitely didn't host a region, and they got hot, and they they won the regional that they were at and went on to win the College World Series. So you just got to click and be playing good at the right time, and, um, you know, hopefully they figure it out here. Yeah, I think Michigan was a three seed when they went yeah. to the finals a couple of years ago and lost to Vandy. Uh, Fresno State that won it uh, several years ago was a four seed, which is, you know, if you want to do the basketball thing, is the equivalent of a, uh, what, 13 to 16 seed. So, yeah, it, it, weird stuff happens in college baseball's postseason. But you gotta, they got to find some arms. they got to have some guys step up uh, because depth of arms is so crucial in these, you know, weekends where you're playing sometimes four or five, six games. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Sarah says, what would you consider a successful season this year for the football team? Do you have a baseline number of wins, or do you gauge success in other areas besides wins or losses? Um, God, this is a great summer radio question. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a valid question, though. But, uh, I, I think it's a great question. Because I think that, like, probably seven wins. I'd be satisfied. It, it sort of depends on which seven they are. I'd love to see Louisville win a game it's not supposed to win this season, whether it's the opener against Old Miss or, you know, one of the other bigger ACC games. But if they go seven and five this year, I'll be, I'll be pretty satisfied. See, I'm not like, I, I don't know what I sound like, but I'm not really basing success this year on wins and losses. 
I, I want to see just a competent team. I want to see a team where the defense has, has I don't want to say improved tenfold, but is still making the um, progress off kind of what they built last year where it started to seem like they turned a corner. And then obviously on offense, you know, I want to see a team that, that moves the ball like he's done in the past two years, but obviously has, has learned from their mistakes and cut down on the turnovers. And I want to see these young guys that they brought in develop as well. So it, it, from like a eyeball standpoint, I'm going to probably be keeping an eye on that more than the actual win losses. Um, obviously I don't want to, you know, go look okay and go three and eight, three and nine, whatever. But, um, I, I think it'll be a, a more comforting knowing that, hey, last year was kind of just a, a blip in the radar as far as like the turnovers go. Um, and this year we, we seem to look like maybe a more fluid football team. Yeah. I saw David Hale put out the sad about how, you know, Louisville in six of its seven losses had the ball late in the game with the chance to tie or take the lead uh, and, you know, went 0-6 in those opportunities. So it's not like they weren't close to having a slightly better right. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I don't know. God, I wish he just wouldn't have done the whole South Carolina deal. And, like, I, I feel like there would be a little more excitement going through the program right now if that hadn't happened. Um, but what are you going to do? I don't We're We're just going to have to wait and see it. Uh, it's one of the – by the way, the football team – this year is like the one year I love the fact, you know, um, that we've done this a couple of times where we're opening the game in Atlanta versus a, a pretty big name opponent this year. It's Lane Kiffin and Old Miss. Like we went, me and you went to the Auburn game. It was like when we got there, we're like, all right, this is like real big time college football. Like this is like what it feels like. So it's obviously a, a cool thing to put your program on the map. But, however, this is one year I kind of wish we had a game at home the first game of the year just to kind of get some confidence under our belt, even if it's like a, you know, a, a shitty program and an easy win, um, just to kind of get good feeling back around the fan base because I, I, I just don't want to come home, you know, 0-1, um, and especially if it ends up being like a bad loss. Uh, you know, I kind of would just – I think this – fan base needs a little bit of a jolt for football. And I think a, a nice, easy win at home would have been nice. But who knows? We, we don't know what's going to happen Labor Day weekend. It's weird that for as different as they are, I kind of feel like Scott Satterfield early in his Louisville career, and again, we don't know how long the career is going to be here, but early in his Louisville tenure is kind of in the same spot that Bobby Petrino was in early in his first tenure at Louisville where he had the flirtation with Auburn. He pissed a lot of Louisville fans off to the point where in late December of that year, I, I vividly remember a guy sitting in front of me at a game at Freedom Hall with a sign that said, like, hello, New Year, bye-bye, Petrino. Like, people were ready for Bobby to just go if he didn't want to be here. And then he turns that around by winning a lot of football games over the next two seasons. Like, that's kind of where Scott Satterfield is, where the frustration with him personally that a lot of Louisville fans have doesn't have as much to do with his on-field performance as it does, like, they don't trust him, and they kind of think he's handled things poorly. And he did go on the radio. He went on with, with a Mark a couple of weeks ago and, I mean, said nothing for, like, 12 minutes. But he, he he did make mention of, like, my kid's moving here to go to school, and we're, we're building a new house. And everybody, like, like the, the universal response was, like, we've seen this shit before, man. Like, like, like just win some fucking games. Like, cool. Yeah, I mean, he's got all the cliches down of football talk and interviews, and he – 
he knows exactly what to say just to get through the interview. But I'm the same as you. Just win some damn games. Everyone will come out to the stadium. We'll be supportive of the program. Um, but, yeah, it, it, he's uh, his interviews crack me up. It's like he's giving a generic job interview where he's like, my biggest uh, my biggest weaknesses are actually my strengths. I don't know. Sometimes I work too hard, and here's my resume, and everyone, we're just like, all right, man, just cut through the bullshit. Like, tell us what you're going to do for this company. Tell us how you're going to make us happy. Just start winning some games. And I think that's where we are. And the best thing for him, because I, I, I understand where you're coming from with the the first game on the schedule – but if he beats Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss on a neutral field on Labor Day night when Louisville's like the only game that people are going to be watching, I mean, that's that jolt that you're talking about. Like, that's that that good vibe. And all of a sudden, everybody's wearing our visors again. We're, we're all excited about the, the locker room parties and all that stuff that was so popular in, in 2019. Um, it's it, like, it, but do you trust that that's going to happen? No. Yeah. <laughs> not, not so much. But, hey, we've got four months to get there. Yeah. Uh, Corrido says, or Corrid19 says, is Bob Baffert the Lance Armstrong of horse racing? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we've texted about this. Literally, this guy is just killing me. I mean, he really is just, he's hes killing me. I mean, I, I think he screwed a lot of people out of money for the Derby. Obviously, he's tainting the sport. Um, I mean, I'm still, the, the Derby thing is just, it's really killing me. Um, not to not to be like feel sorry for me, but if that seven mandolin gets up, I hit the fifty cent try. It would have been nice and paid for Disney, but instead <laughs> we got a cheating Bob Baffert ruining my dreams. Um, but anyways, what are you gonna do? I saw like like some people. I, I kind of made the Coach K comparison because he was doing the whole like we're investigating ourselves, and guess what? We found nothing like right away, and uh, making his rounds. But the difference between him and Coach K, because I see why people would make that compare. Other people would make that comparison. You know, college basketball. There's this sense that pretty much everybody's cheating, but only some people are getting caught. And Coach K, who's seen as this pristine whatever, is coddled by the media and coddled by the fans, and he's actually cheating too, but he just never gets caught. The difference is Baffert's been caught like 45 fucking times. Right. <laughs> it's not like this is the first time it's happened, and just. We just keep hitting the reset button, and he keeps winning everything, and nobody cares. I think this is the time because it's made such national headlines, and because like that the hay piss thing got around so much that day, and SNL spoofed him last weekend. Like I think this is the one that's going to kind of stick with him now. Yeah, I mean, there's I know it's probably I'm not in Louisville, so I'm sure local radio is is that's kind of been like the talking point. So I don't want to hammer on it too much, but I mean, how can a guy that is apparently this successful, just be so lax about these million dollar horses that he has in his barn and people just <laughs> pissing in. Hey, I just don't understand it. Um, I admit that's just the side of the horse racing world. I, I guess I, I have not dove into yet. Um, but it, it, it was nice to see that, the, the New York Racing Association banned him, so he won't be able to race in the Belmont. Um, so I, I am looking forward to a Baffertless Belmont. I I just wish the hate piss thing had been true. Like I, I know that it's it, it, it circulated in the wrong way. The the way that I think it was Rick Bozich tweeted it out, and made it seem like he was using that as an excuse. He actually was just talking about 
something that had happened to another horse two years prior. But that that was like an all time tweet, by the way. Like oh. when I saw that, I was like, "This is a Hall of Fame tweet right here." The possibility of a <laughs> a two hundred million dollar sporting event being decided by a guy who had taken some Robitussin for a cough, who's probably paid like $9,000 a year to work 85-hour weeks for Bob Baffert, peeing in a stall in the middle of the night and a horse eating some hay that had that piss on it. Like, that deciding this event that billions of dollars are wagered on, like, that would have been the defining sports story of our lifetime. I need, <laughs> And it didn't, but it's okay. It's, it still has been a lot of fun the last couple of weeks. Um, let's see here. Jimmy says, Mike, big fan of your work. My question is, if you were still on the radio, would Gunter Brewer have taken you to Keeneland with Mark Blakenbaker? Did Gunter Brewer take Mark Blakenbaker to Keeneland? <laughs> I have no idea, but if he did, that's – uh I mean, I, I feel like Gunter is, uh like, the coach that, like, we're going to be like, oh, man, like, I, I don't know that we're not – we're taking him for granted, but – I mean, you, you see these guys that are in the NFL now, like Des Fitzpatrick and Tutu. I mean, they love this guy. Um, it seems from like, I know he used to coach Randy Moss at one point. Um, so I, I'm glad he is on our side. It sounds like uh, he's got a little bit of a personality, too. Yeah, I thought it was telling that Des Fitzpatrick, in an interview, I guess it was earlier this week, said, you know, I've got the best wide receivers coach in the country and all this stuff. And I thought that was telling, especially because. You know, there was this sense that the staff didn't use Dez as much as they uh, should have. And, and I know that Dez was at least a little bit frustrated the last couple of years at how much Tutu out was targeted. So for him to say that, I think, was, was pretty high praise. But, yeah, Gunnar Brewer loves the flat bill cap and apparently loves Mark Blankenbaker. There you go. Uh, Lane says, what was the best flavor of milkshake from lunch at Trinity? Am I missing something? Did are we that old? I don't think we had milkshakes when, when oh, we were. Oh, we we had milkshakes. We had milk like in the snack bar. They had like us. I mean, me and you were big. I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. It's uh, is it Kizito cookies or how do you pronounce it? Yeah, Kizito. Yeah, I mean that was me and you used to get that all the time. But no, they definitely had milkshakes and slushies and and all that jazz, but um, I was a big cookie guy. But if you're asking me for the best milkshake, it's chocolate, and there's no, nothing else that's even on its level. I completely missed out on that in high school. I had no idea that we had milkshakes. Um, by the way, I had a autographed bobblehead of the Casino lady. She came in and did an uh, interview with us on the radio. iHeart never sent it back to me. They were supposed to send all my bobbleheads back to me. Never did. So I'd, I'd probably sue. That would be my first I'm action. Sure. Yeah. Heads back, I heart. Uh, Jake Thomas says, which players do you want to see the most on a UofL TBT team? There's, yeah, there's talk again about Louisville getting a, a team in the basketball tournament. There was talk last year or two years ago. Didn't happen. We'll see if it actually happens this year. But um, Earl Clark, always the answer. Never yeah. not the answer. Love him. Uh, Earl Clark and Brad Giannini, get them on this team. Give me, yeah, give me Russ. Give me Earl. Give me... Oh, man. I could use some Jerry. Get some Jerry going. He'd be a great guy to have on the team. But, I need some um, Jerry. I, like. yeah. I need Jerry just whapping the, whipping those towels like it's 2008 again. Yeah. That, that would be – I mean, that would be like a pretty, like, DL really fun thing to follow. Um, I mean, because we all love our former players. Um, 
And just to see them, you know, kind of go through that again, it'd be, it'd be fun. Ryan McMahon, I'd love Ryan to get on there. That'd be great. Yeah, he played last year for the Dayton team and actually played. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He did. Connor Shea says, if you and Dan were climbing Everest, who would die first and how? Oh. Uh, I mean, I mean, if it's, if I could definitely see myself like doing something stupid, like, yeah, like reaching over and like grabbing my lunch and just falling off the cliff. <laughs> um, but like, I might... mean, I, if it's like, hey, you know, just pure stamina, I would vote for myself. Oh, but yeah. as far as like, uh, from a thought, thinking out how you're going to get up standpoint, um, I wouldn't make it past night one. I mean, I have asthma, and I think, I mean, you're in better shape than I am now. I haven't run in, like, a couple of years at this point. So I think if it was just based on that, you'd make it further. But my thought was you would definitely die first just doing something stupid. Like, you'd be t- taking a picture and, like, grabbing your dick and thinking it was funny and just, like, fall right off the edge. And then, <laughs> let's, let's cut to the chase. It's like we would not make it past one <laughs> <laughs> we can't. We can't even do it in real life in a big city. We almost uh, when we and you went to the Orange Bowl in Miami. We, me and you, just took a car and had zero idea what we were doing. I was like, "Are we going to end up dead here?" That and our our trip to New Orleans for the 2012 final. Yeah, I mean, we've barely gotten to major U.S. cities in one piece. <laughs> we're getting to the top of Everest together. Uh, that would be that. Yeah, it'd be bad. Neither, neither one of us would do very well. Uh, yeah. back. Do you think you could bust a watermelon with your thighs? No. <laughs> no. I can barely lift a watermelon, so, yeah, that's definite no. Uh, you and Dan, this is from D.A. Helderman, you and Dan both have to draft two current NCAA head coaches to form a three-on-three basketball team and play one another. Who are you each picking? Hmm. Um, if I got, I mean, Howard. Oh, so what, so the the coaches are playing. Yeah, that's oh, my uh, I got I got to rack my brain here. Um, Eric Musselman. Um, okay. Yeah, he. I just, mean, those abs hypnotized you. Just the, yeah. the Musselman. You don't know if he's any good at basketball. I don't know. I I would need more time to. I mean, Ewing obviously. Although he's probably like so old, he can't get up and down the court. Um. I'm going, I mean, Juan Howard is still young and have to play. Exactly. Howard would be first pick. Damon Stoudemire is the head coach at Pacific now. I mean, he can't be, he's got to be just in his mid-40s because uh, he played in the 90s. I, he could probably still play a little bit. And then I, I feel like there's somebody I'm forgetting who's like a a former player who was a, still like relatively Dude, young. Mark, Mark Pope. Um, Mark, Mark Pope? I mean, he's, what, he's BYU's coach, played at Kentucky? I, I'm familiar with Mark Pope. I'm concerned about why you're drafting him in your top three here. I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of guys who played basketball, I, like, that are relatively – I guess he's not too young anymore. Are you going – how mad are you that you can't draft Danny Manning right now? Um, well, now that you say it, I'm pretty fucking pissed. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, Howard Stoudemire – I mean, Steve Alford could probably still shoot it a little bit. Um, I know that there's, like, a big one that we're just totally blanking on here, but uh, for now, to move the process. I love how you're making fun of me for Mark Pope and you just casually throw in Steve Alford. Like, he would Mark step Pope on the not, court and bury threes. He could. Steve Alford still holds, like, the, the record for three for free throw percentage. Mark Pope, what record does he hold? 
I mean, the guy can body people down in the post. What do you want me to do? We need bodies. So, um, I don't know. Tell, I, I'll, DA, I will, uh, I will tweet you my answer when I can think about it a little bit longer, but that's a good question. Scam. Uh, yeah. Terry says, will Ross McMahon inherit the Friends theme song since he was, quote, there for us? Oh, Terry. Terry. Terry, that's so bad. That's terrible. <laughs> oh. I mean, you are big Ross. By the way, like I'm a huge uh, Ross guy. If you're if you're doing the friends guy. pecking order, like the, definitely, uh, we could have a whole conversation about this. But uh, I, I to me, funniest one on the show. And to be honest, it, it's not even close. My wife loves Chandler, um, always has. But I'm like, you're missing with Ross. This guy is a comedy machine on the show. The internet turning on Ross in recent years has really. I hate it. it. I don't understand it. I mean, here's the deal. I don't watch shitty 90s sitcoms for the, like, overall character development. I don't care about how Ross was in real life or if he was whiny and annoying. I just want to laugh. Like, Friends is not that deep. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to laugh here. Ross makes me laugh. That's the, the long and short of it. The, the tanning bed episode gets me. I mean, I lose it every time. It's one of Ross's best performances. I vividly remember watching that episode, I think when it aired live, it was like our freshman year of college, and when he did the, I'm an eight, like, I laughed out loud, I really laughed out loud during, like, shows like that, but I did, it was, it was very funny. We're yeah. about to be judged for our friends knowledge, oh, I but know. we'll, we'll keep carrying on. Everybody hates friends now, it's so cool to I know, it. it's the cool thing to do. It's okay to like things, people, grow up. Like, I, this is how I know I'm old, because, like, now, if, if you're young, the cool thing, I guess if you're a little bit older than us, or a little bit younger than us, the cool thing is, like, everything sucks besides, like, barbecue and Pearl Jam. Like, you know, it's it's fine to like some things, guys. It's okay. Uh, Nick Coffey, Radio's own Nick Coffey says, say penis as soon as you start recording, lead off with the word penis. Well, that's – I've ruined that already, but there you go. That's three penises. That's the third penis right there. Now four penises, five uh, on the podcast. Congratulations. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. Steven says, should UofL sign a big man and ball-handling guard to round out the team? Or are they fine with the roster as is? We kind of talked about this earlier. I think if you're, I mean, would love to have both those things, clearly. I think the pitch to a big man is tough right now. It's like, hey, come here and play in case our big guy gets hurt. <laughs> you, you may get some big minutes. Um, that's going to be a tough sell to anybody who wants to be a starter. Backcourt, I think, is a little bit of a easier pitch. So that's probably, and I think, again, I think we need a playmaker. So that's that's where I would focus on. Um Let's see here. Ed DeRosa, Horse Racing's own Ed DeRosa. Follow him on Twitter at EJXD2. Ed DeRosa is awesome, by the love way. Like, he's great. He used to come on the radio show all the time. He's a badass. Uh, I love him. He said, how come there's no good sushi in Louisville? There's no good sushi in Louisville. I like sushi. Yeah, God, I, I'm trying to think where when I – the place I used to go to for sushi, I don't even know if it's there anymore. It was down at the end of Frankfurt. It was called Mido. I don't know if it's still there or not. Um, it's it's been a while since I had sushi in Louisville. There's a ton of spots here in uh, the Dublin, Ohio area if you're ever looking for sushi. But um, yeah, I, I can't answer that uh, as well as he'd probably like. But I, I'm sorry, he's not getting the sushi he's looking for. I think Eric Wood might fight Ed DeRosa. The guy eats sushi like 15 times a week. He's just all over. The Ran into him at the uh, the Norton Commons Street Festival. Looking like he's like 160 pounds. The guy's felt. Yeah, I mean, I I, I follow him on Instagram, and uh, he he definitely doesn't look like he played center in the NFL anymore, which is a compliment. 
NIT Stu says, thoughts on taking a mini golf course and inserting it instead uh, of the greens on a real golf course. I I would enjoy one <laughs> one tournament a year where the greens were like mini course greens for, for PGA golfers. I think that'd be fun. I'd, I'd watch. Yeah, well, it would probably affect you more than me because you have a great approach game. So I imagine you would be very frustrated, like getting it close to the pin and having to go through like a windmill every single time. Uh, for me, I have no approach game, so it doesn't really matter if there's a putt putt course or not on the green. But um, yeah, I, I, I would I'd be good for it for one one to two per eighteen, but not every single hole. My favorite thing about golfing with you is when you, I mean, pipe it like 320 down the middle and you're 70 yards out, and I'm like, he's going to make a seven. Like, Oh, it, it, I mean, someone, if I ever want to golf with us, like it, golfing with, with Mike is one of the more frustrating deals in the world because, I mean, he just, not too far off the tee, but he just keeps it in the fairway. Use his approach shots are usually, I mean, he's smart and just keeps it a little bit short of the hole. It's usually like on the friends or short of the green, and then he'll either chip or put up. And, you know, he's shooting par or bogey every time where I'm pretty much feast or famine, and it's a lot more famine than feast. Um, <laughs> so I, I like to give it a ride. And then, yeah, my, my wedge game is, I, I will say, I feel like it's gotten a little bit better, but it, it's still very shaky. I, I mean, I'm the most boring golfer alive. You can say it. Like, it's the I'm the Matt Kuchar of like casual friends golf. It's just not. But I, the thing is, like, that's the only way I can have a semi good time. If I could, if I had the potential to hit it like 300 off the tee, but I didn't know where it was going, I still would try to do it. But I can't. So I'm like, you know, two two forty down the middle, two thirty down the middle. Uh, it's. It, it's the I only feel like thing. we we used to be like you. You've always been better than me, but it used to be closer and like. The older we've gotten, you've just slowly pulled away, and now you're shooting, like, I feel like mid-80s to high-80s on the regular to where, um, I mean, you can mark me down for, like, a 93 to 94 just about every single time. And if you would watch us hit off the first tee, you might not believe it, but um, if you followed us the whole round, then you'd actually see why. You do live in, like, the 93 area. I feel like you've never shot Anything but a 93 for the last, like, five, five years. I, 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 like, I'll start out par, bogey, par, par, and then I'm like, well, water's got to find its level here. I got a double <laughs> or triple coming up, so let's figure out where it's coming. The snap hook off the, the seventh tee, and like, there, exactly. there, there it is. Exactly. Uh, Dimitri Robinos, uh, Radio Zone, Dimitri says, just picture Phil Fulmer. Phil Fulmer, did your mental image make you giggle? Yeah, yeah. Big Phil, yeah. Um, is, is he still involved at Tennessee? Is he the athletic director or is he out? I, I'm like losing my mind here. I think he still is. Uh, I think Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin is the one who stepped Yeah, I, like those two are like forever intertwined just for like how hands-on they are with their university. But um, yeah, Phil Fulmer, way to go. They're the same. Yeah, they're basically the same people. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if he's still the AD. I think he still is, or maybe if he retired, it had to have been real recently. But um, hilarious human being just uh, in general. Um, Dre says, y'all ever had to ring the wings from rumors? People keep saying they're some of the best in the city, but I find it hard to believe since it's a seafood restaurant. Yeah, do you remember that review that the Courier-Journal wrote? Like, I remember, I think I was in Italy. Mary and I took this, so it had to have been like the 2015 summer. 
and whoever writes the food reviews for uh, the Courier Journal went to Rumors and ordered like a salmon sandwich. It was like, this place sucks because I didn't like their salmon sandwich. I'm like, it's a wings place. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Rumors guy. Like, we like used to go there after football games. I love their wings. I always, I, I mean, to me, they were the best wings in Louisville until, um, you know, what, what's the barbecue place I'm thinking of that we both like? Um, that has, yeah, Mama's. Um, Mama's wings are, are the best in the city, in my opinion. Um, and then I kind of ventured out, and there's some other good ones, like Beer Depot has really good ones. Saints Pub, to me, has good ones. But I, I was big rumors wings guy for a long, long time. I was supposed to have uh, drinks with, with Greer at Beer Depot yesterday, and I forgot about it. And back oh, my God. I'm playing golf with him on Friday, so I don't feel that bad. He's gonna, there you, you know, go. Yeah, we're going. Guess where we're playing? You, you, uh God, that, please say Crescent Hill. I wish. Uh, it's <laughs> same vein, though. Charlie Vetner, baby. Going to the vet. I'm excited. Oh, Charlie Vetner. I love yeah, it. I love I'm it. That's great. Pretty pumped. Um, Patrick Reed, Stan, says, PGA Championship picks? I would like Dan to spend five minutes talking his strategy for one and done. Oh, um, God. <laughs> I mean, it has been a all-out disaster for the Sonard <laughs> Rutherford Golf fantasy team for the third straight year. Have you looked to see what place we're in? I know it's really bad. I think uh, I know we're in there are what, 64 teams in this league and I, th- I know we're in the 50s. <clears throat> oh, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, we we tried to go outside the box for the Masters and we're like, maybe a lot of people won't pick Rory because his form is so bad and we were trying to steal you're, one there. You're doing pretty liberally here. That was your yeah, it was, that was me. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 there's a couple people that I, I follow that I trust more than my golf knowledge, so I'll probably base it off them. But uh, we're probably going to have to go outside the box because we're going to have to try to pick someone to win that maybe not a lot of people are picking. But um, I don't know. Kiowa kind of, to me, the first thing that pops up like Kiowa, I'm like, Xander Shoffley? And that's just. <laughs> Based off nothing, so I have no idea here. Yeah, there I just said there are 69 teams in our league. Nice. We are currently in 57th place. Oh, Jesus. What? Yeah. I mean, and this has been three straight years of being, like, way down at the bottom of the standings, and we have yet to pick a winning golfer in three years. It's unbelievable how bad we are at this. Like, like last week, I finally I made the shift from we have no chance to finish in the money in this league Let's just start trying to pick a winner so we can maybe get our money back because this league gives out uh, you know weekly money prizes for having the you know the, the, if you pick the winning golfer. So I took Bryson DeChambeau in the Byron Nelson and what did he finish like fifty fifth the yeah. number one golfer in the world. I was like, is he gonna make the fucking cut? The uh, winner shot twenty five under and Bryson shot two over on Saturday. I was like, oh here we go. Yeah, we're we're not very good at this. Uh, Paul Saxstetter says, is it time to start talking about baseball in the pod? And if so, what the hell happened? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, it's, yeah. Does great. he mean Reds baseball? No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kidding. It's like, because uh, if we do want to dive into that, um, which I'm going to right now, uh, they're one game below 500 and they just can't get over the hump. Um, but there are some problems. One of the worst defensive teams I've seen in a long, long time. We got some injuries. We can hit, which is nice, um, but that's about the only thing we got going for us besides a, a couple good starting pitchers. 
What percentage of people listening to this podcast could be better defensive shortstops than Eugenio Suarez? <laughs> Dude, I, At least 20%. I, I absolutely love Eugenio Suarez so much, but I'm like, I don't know what to do with this guy. I mean, if he's going to be that bad at short, like, he is coming around hitting a little bit, but he's still been a disaster. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We're in, we're in a pretty tough spot here with, with some of the guys that we have, but, um, we'll, uh, let's just get to 500 or get over 500 and then maybe we can get hot for the all-star break and that way we don't sell off all our guys. Uh, Chase says if you had to choose one for this upcoming season guaranteed to happen, 10 wins in football or elite eight in basketball. Uh, I'll let you go first. Elite eight in basketball. I just, I, I don't, we, I mean, we lost, Javion Hawkins, we lost two two Atwell. Um, no, you just, you're not saying which is more likely. You get to guarantee that one of those things happens. Oh, I get to guarantee one of those things happen. Um, I would, oh, man, that is a good question. Uh, it would be nice to get ten wins in football and get some yeah. momentum back. I would probably choose that one. Um, I'm with you. I think, I, think, I think basketball can recover on its own, even if we had, like, a Sweet 16 appearance. It'd be like, all right. Um, but football, like, 10 wins would be a major jolt for the program. I, like, both those things seem really unlikely for the upcoming season, but I kind of feel like Elite Eight in basketball is more attainable. It seems more of, like, a possibility than winning 10 games in football. So I would yeah. – I'd go with 10. I mean, if you win 10 games in football, like, you're – you're fucking rolling. Like, you probably have a decent shot to win the Atlantic Division. You've beaten some really good teams. You're going to a really good bowl game. That would be enormous. Um, the Wind Cries Mary says, does Satterfield have to go to a bowl game to keep the fans? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the ones that he hasn't lost already, I think, would would probably jump ship if this team goes 5-7 and seven this year. Yeah. I mean, unless, like, it was just an absolutely, like, you know, injury decimation filled year where he had like a lot of valid excuses. Um, even with that, I mean, I, I just think the fact that he came off what a disaster last year was and to not reach a bowl this year. Um, I, I think the, the way the people would view the program would be very frowned upon. And uh, I think the clock might start ticking a little bit, but uh, I would, it would be very smart of him to make a bowl game this year. Howie Lindsay, formerly radio's own Howie Lindsay says, what ice cream flavor is a deal breaker slash red flag if a date orders it? You go first. I mean, I feel like plain vanilla. If you, yeah, like, that's, I'm, I don't care if it's our first date. I'm making fun of you. If you just order a, a cup of vanilla ice cream from a like a nice ice cream place. Yeah, like some sort of like cherry flavor or something like that that's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big toffee guy either. Um like I'm 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 like chocolate chip, double chocolate chip Oreo. Um that's kind of where I live, but yeah, vanilla that would that would be like, all right, is this what I'm getting here? Also, if if she orders something or he orders something with sort of a kind of inappropriate name, I'd feel a little bit weirded out. Like, like I just, I, I don't know. It's a first date. If you're going with, like, the devil's three-way, I'd be like, okay. Like, <laughs> like what am did I you just get a banana here? split? Yeah. Like. <laughs> the Satan 69. I'm like, oh, my God. What's, uh, 
Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is going to work out long term. I don't see myself marrying somebody who's ordering Satan 69 on a first date. I'm, I'm changing my answer to banana split. I hate <laughs> bananas and like people that eat those. I'm like, you have all these choices. What are you doing? Uh, Higgy says, who's the most underappreciated Saved by the Bell character? Mr. Dewey. Like, the math are, are we saying like a regular occurring character? Or could it could be somewhere that was there for like a couple episodes. You're hosting, you're, you're co-hosting the podcast. You get to pick your own parameters here. Man. I mean, it's easily for me, Johnny Dakota. I mean, just <laughs> that, that, that is episodes with Johnny Dakota were just absolutely electric. The teachers at Bayside High, I think the support teachers are overall underrated. Like Mr. Tuttle, fucking hilarious. Mr. Dewey, hysterical. Um, the woman who can't see, can't remember her name. Very funny. Like that's just that collection. I think is very overall underrated. Uh, Art Carmody got mad that I didn't respond to his text message, so he tweeted to you. Uh, I need to look at actually what he what he texted me. He had like fifteen questions uh, that, that he wanted me to answer. Don't please do note not ever ignore Art again. That, that hurt my feelings when I read that. Well, I did respond right after that. I was like, sorry, I missed this. Um, but he wants to know Art. We can only answer one of your questions. You asked like fifteen questions about UK. He said, is Calipari panicking, or is this just the new normal? I think he's definitely, <laughs> yeah, I think he's definitely panicking. I love that Art answer, asked this question. He just is, like, so <laughs> bought in, like all of us fans are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say panic is a good word. Um, I, I, I think that, I mean, they're coming off 9 and 16. I mean, as much as I hate Calipari, like, how could he not panic? He kind of has to panic at this point a little bit. So um, I, I do think they'll they'll be better. Um, I don't think they're going to be, like, you know, win it all good, but I, I, I do expect them to turn it around this year. See, I don't think it's just about the 9 and 16 season. Like, all these U.K. fans were – you know, in my mentions yesterday, and half of them were saying, bringing up that graphic about most NCAA tournament wins since 2010, which is a convenient cutoff day. I get that it's since Calgary got there, but how about let's do since 2015, because that's not looking as good for you. If the bulk of those 31 wins in the tournament that Calipari has had had come in the most recent half of the last decade as opposed to the, the, the front end, then I think nobody's making fun of that tweet yesterday. He's not yeah. The reality is... Like Kentucky, I'll just like they have not scared me since 2015. Like they're just, and I don't mean that as far as like beating Louisville because obviously they've had their way with us. But I mean, as a rival fan, you're terrified that your rival's going to win the whole thing, right? Like that's yeah, fail. You want them not to be good. And those first six Calipari teams, by and large, like I, I was terrified not just that they were going to beat us in December, but that like he was going to dominate the sport and they were going to be the it program. And, you know, he was going to have five national titles in 10 years or something along those lines. And since the undefeated team lost to Wisconsin, and then they've had some okay teams, but none that have really like struck fear into me that I'm just think we are going to run through the country. The closest they've had, like the Fox monk team was pretty good. And if they beat Carolina, they could have easily won the national title. But like, even them, like, like they were just kind of like, okay, like, like I didn't think they were the best team in the country. And, I think this coming year's team is, is going to be kind of the same way. Like they're, they're probably going to be okay. I can definitely see them being better than us, but I don't think that that's a national championship team. And that's kind of what you expect if you're, if you're UK and, it, and the way that they're acting, the way that this fan base is acting, the way that Calipari is acting, 
you'd think that they're you know a team that could threaten to be like 37 and three or something along those lines, and I just don't see it right now. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, um, we as a program, I mean, as much as I hate Cal, as much as I I hate Kentucky athletics, we really Louisville dodged a bullet that Kentucky only got one national title in those like first five six years of Cal because I mean we're not fooling it. I mean they're not we're not joked by the fact that the they were absolutely loaded a couple different years and could have easily won. Thank God for Jeremy Lamb and Kemba Walker um, in the UConn year that, that really kind of stole one from them. Um, but yeah, these last couple of years is just, it's definitely not the same. Not saying that we as a Louisville basketball team have put fear in the nation's eyes as a program, but I definitely, as far as like, intimidation of how good a program might be. I, I, I don't feel that same way with Kentucky as I did, you know, 2009, 2010 through 2015. Uh, we have a few questions here about cicadas. Has the cicada awakening started up there in Columbus yet? No, but when we were in Florida, there was an attack of these things called, they were called love bugs and I had never even heard of them, but <laughs> They were everywhere, and there were, like, these two bugs that were, like, attached together. It was the weirdest thing, but, like, they, like, literally swarmed us, swarmed us off the beach one day. It was pretty wild. Um, so if you have knowledge about that, you're smarter than I am, which doesn't take a lot, but I had never heard of these things, but I'm not looking forward to the cicadas. They have definitely started emerging here in, in St. Matthews. We're seeing them everywhere on walks. And it's triggering. I, I've kind of forgotten how much I hated these things. But 17 years ago, so I used to, the, the first couple summers after college, I worked at St. Joe's Orphanage doing, we were on like the quote-unquote picnic crew. So you spent like the first two months of summer just doing odd jobs around the grounds. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge facility. Uh, so, we, you know, we did painting, we did, you know, drilling, just put up stuff. And then you spent like the last couple months setting up the picnic. It's a huge ordeal. It takes a long time to get done. But so my first summer working there was 17 years ago. It was the cicada summer. So the like the people who technically like are the custodians or the guy, the maintenance man, like they were like 85 year old men who did nothing. So there was there was no grass work. There was no landscaping done between the time when we stopped working the summer before and started working the summer after. So I'm like weed eating this brush, like this thicket, this whatever that's like as tall as me that hasn't been touched since last August, and I mean, the second you go in there, you've got live cicadas flying at you. You've got dead cicadas flying at you. You've got their shells flying at you, and they're just smacking me in the face. It was the war, and every time you had to do anything, like they're just fucking everywhere. And the other memory that I have is our uh, our mutual buddy Craig. Uh, he and another guy who who worked with us, Chris. They were up on these ladders painting this. I mean, just we did the most dangerous shit. It was terrible, but like they're up on these really tall ladders painting this overhang, and there's a security camera right in their face, and the cicadas warming them. They're, they're flying in the paint. They're flying in the paint on the roof. They're, <laughs> like, they're just, like, swatting constantly, like, almost falling off their ladders. And all I could think of yesterday when I saw all the cicada stuff was I mean, I'd pay at least $300 for the footage from that security camera because it had to have been the funniest fucking thing that anybody's ever seen, just them up there. Uh, anyway, long story short, cicadas suck. I hate them. They're terrible. They're coming back. Uh, <laughs> Joe says, do you think Louisville still has a shot at Maverick Rowan? 
Oh yeah. man, yeah, we thought Maverick was like the next Larry Bird. Um, yeah, that didn't work out too well for NC State. I wonder what old Maverick's up to. He's playing pro. I'm sure. You know, Mike Bellato introduced his dad to me at Molly Malone's after a game one time, and right away I was like, I don't want this kid. <laughs> like, go somewhere else, please. I was like, the dad did like, uh, I, I won't say anything else. But the, the, the dad did not make a great impression on me. Uh, yeah, that, there was a couple like I love like the random guys we never got. Like I remember, I really this guy's not random anymore because he's like niching out a good NBA career. But remember PJ Dozier. Um, went to South Carolina. I was like, oh, I would love to, like, kind of like a last second get this kid on the rate, uh, you know, on the team. But he ended up going to South Carolina and he's actually getting, um, he's had a nice career for the Nuggets so far. Went to a Final Four. Like, they were, yeah. I remember after, after his visit here, everybody was very confident that he was coming. And then mysteriously, uh, he did not. There you go. Uh, Gil Bolberg says, has the Jeff Capel era at Pitt been better or worse or the same? As Kevin Stallings, look, it's been it's been disappointing, and now they've lost everybody from last year's team. Kevin Stallings had the worst major conference team I think I've ever seen, and uh, I mean, it, it had, they've at least won games in conference play, which is more than the lasting image of Kevin Stallings can say. Yeah, I mean, it seems like things are are quickly coming apart for the bag man there at, at Pitt, um, Jeff Capel. But yeah, I mean the. The end of the stalling era was just one for the books. Those teams coming in were so fucking bad. Steven says, any predictions or thoughts for the cards versus the fighting Lane Kiffins? It's never too early. Go cards. It is absolutely too early. I, 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 we're not, we, yeah. we still even know who all is on the team. Like, we're adding players to the roster, and I think Ole Miss is doing the same. I'm not. Well, even though we kind of did talk about it a little bit earlier, I'm not doing any predictions. Um Whatever. Dan, do you have a uh, quick Dan of the Dumps, or, or do you just want to use the, the Disney stories from earlier as your Dan of the Dumps for this week? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, I, I, I'll probably have one next week. Um, it, it, it might be long-winded, so we'll save it for another week. I like that. Um, reminder again, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can rate and review the pod as well, it also helps us out. One new review here for this week. We've got Brad G. and Amy saying, quote, a meanderingly irreverent yet entertaining dive into the chaos of Louisville sports news. Also a pertinent source of life advice, mostly providing a myriad of don'ts for young adults. I mostly just want Dan to read this aloud with no mistakes. (laughs) Jesus. It's like these people know me too well. (laughs) If you you want to leave a review, uh, we will read it on the podcast. We enjoy doing that. Um, we'll be back. I'm going to try to do another one for this week. We'll see if we can make one more episode, try to get Keith Wynn on. Maybe a couple of other guests are going to come on, uh, this summer, I think to, to liven things up a little bit and talk about a couple of other topics. But if you don't hear from us, we will be back next week with another, uh, Dan episode and we'll talk more about Louisville baseball. If something happens in basketball, if this mysterious bad comes out, uh, we'll tackle that as well. But until we talk to you guys again, go cards. Go cards.